Hi, this is Tanya, and you're listening to Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Hi, and welcome back, church. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and this is your Sunday sermon. It is Sunday, March 26th. Hope you've had a fantastic week. We are going to continue in our journey. This is week three of the Passion Series. In part one of the series, we learned that it wasn't the nails that held Jesus on the cross. It was his love. His actions were fueled by love. Last week in part two, we learned that if love was the fuel, then there were several other key additives present in the life of Jesus. And one of those additives was a humble love. We also learned that Jesus was and is the humble king who serves a world that's in desperate need. Today, in part three, we'll talk about another key additive to Jesus' love, and that is he showed us a perfect love, and that was focused on the joy that was set before him. I'll tell you more in a moment, but right now, join me in an opening word of prayer. Thank you, dear Lord, for this amazing time we get to journey again into the Passion series. We find out today about your perfect love. We can't wait to get started. Thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. I never considered myself much of an athlete, but I did play several sports throughout my life. But there was a specific time that I remember when I competed in a sport for the very first time. It was during my first year in high school. I played golf, and so I tried out for the high school team, and I was blessed to make it. I thought I was pretty good until I was playing with the other high school golfers, and I realized I wasn't so great. My coach, Mr. Sheasley, told me I needed to practice a whole lot more to become a better player. He also said that if I improved, I'd be able to compete in local high school tournaments with the team. So that's what I did. I practiced with the team. I took more lessons from a local golf pro, hit balls in the field every day, and my dad took me to the local driving range where he would coach me at least once a week. For months I did this, and it was hard. The level of preparation and dedication was not something I was used to. And yes, there were times I wanted to say, forget this and just walk away. It was just hard. But I got better. My scores got better, and I began to see evidence that all the hard work and dedication was paying off, and mostly the improvement was in my head. I started to understand the game more and my part in it, what it was to compete. It was just really an amazing journey. Now, the coach named me as part of a team that was going to compete in our very first tournament, and there were three other high schools. I was really nervous, and I began to doubt myself. But all that training, all that repetition, all the practice, the lessons, they all made a difference because in my first tournament, I defeated my opponent, and I helped our team win the overall team award for the tournament. I learned so much through that process that has positively impacted me even to this day. One thing I learned was that if I lost focus on what I was doing, I would not and did not finish well. I also found that there's no substitute for dedication and preparation, and it was always about finishing strong. Now, in running terms, Jesus ran a perfect race while here on earth and his race took him to the eventual death on the cross. Today, we're going to learn more about the perfect love that fueled Jesus on his journey. If you have your Bible or Bible app, I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 26, where the Apostle Paul has some profound things to say about self-discipline and training. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 26, this is what he says. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. 
but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. As I just said, Jesus ran a perfect race. And we know from the Gospels that he was very disciplined with his time. He was intentional. He was neither running aimlessly nor boxing the air. He had an eternal crown in mind, a specific mission and calling. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. We're all called to run a similar race, my friends. While running through life, it's important that we do so with endurance. Endurance requires commitment to the cause. It invites us to never give up hope of crossing that finish line. But today, I want us to talk a little about Jesus as the perfecter of our faith while we run the race. God is able to refine us as we run the race with endurance. But how does that happen? What's required from us in order to experience this? Well, here are three key points that'll answer those questions. The first is, keep your eyes on the cross. We already spent time in this series discussing how Jesus suffered on the cross for our sins. It was his passion for humanity that held him there. I believe if we desire to experience that same passion, if we desire to experience Jesus Christ personally day to day, we must be willing to fix our gaze upon the cross. As humans, we experience this ongoing conflict between where we fix our gaze versus where we glance. For many here today, maybe you felt empty recently. You felt as if you don't have much to give, and today you're here seemingly out of obligation. Maybe it's because you're glancing at God while gazing at the world. I want to challenge you to make a switch today. I invite you to spend time gazing at God and beholding him. Gazing at God invites us to spend time with him constantly. Paul talks about this in his letter to the Thessalonians when he writes in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Never stop praying. Fixing our gaze on Christ means praying when we're in the car, when we're in the coffee shop, when we drop our kids off at school, when we're getting groceries everywhere. We have to train our minds to focus on Christ and stop focusing on all the other things that seek to occupy our time. There's no limit to the amount of time we can spend with God in numerous different ways. All of the time we spend with God is meant to direct our focus back to the cross. It's where our hope lies in any and every season of life while running the race. As we direct our focus to the cross, God is able to refine and perfect our faith. He's able to take us deeper in prayer and deeper in his word. However, allowing God to perfect our faith does not just include gazing at the cross. The second key point is we must endure whatever the race brings. The Bible makes it clear that there will be hard times that we're going to face while running the race. We'll have to learn how to endure frustration, pain, and hardship. In John 16, Jesus tells us, I have told you all this so you will have peace in me. Here on earth you'll have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. And James 1, 2 reminds us, When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. And these are just a couple of the passages that reiterate a consistent message you're going to find throughout the Bible. Even Jesus had to endure trouble, persecution, pain, and suffering. 
Last week, we talked briefly about the anguish he felt just before being arrested. In Matthew 26, verse 39, he prayed and asked God, If it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. However, he was ultimately willing to endure the cross, as Hebrew says, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Again, that's Hebrews 12, too. And he did this for the sake of you and me so we could experience new life. If we want our faith to be refined and perfected, chances are we're going to have to go through the fire. Here's what Paul says in Romans 8:17, And since we are children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. There's something beautiful about seasons of suffering in our lives. In May 1977, at the age of 21, I enlisted in the United States Air Force, and after training here in San Antonio, Texas, and in Mississippi, my first duty station was Osan Air Base, Republic of South Korea. I arrived there on January 1st, 1978. I'd been stationed there for about nine months when I did something really, really bad. I committed an act of larceny. Because of my actions, I was facing a military court-martial and the possibility of being sentenced to six months confinement at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, and a bad conduct discharge from the Air Force. It was one of the lowest times in my life. To top things off, my wife Jeannie and I had just gotten married and my life now appeared to be over in every sense and I wondered if I was gonna lose everything, including her. The night before I went to trial, I went across the hall of my dorm and knocked on the door of a coworker, James Mobley. He had been trying to tell me about Jesus from the day I arrived in Korea and frankly, I wouldn't listen. I cut him off every time, but he never got mad at me, but always left the door open, so to speak, for me to follow up with him. So facing the greatest test of my life, I did just that. I was really nervous because I wasn't sure how he was going to react to me when he opened the door. He opened the door and I asked if I could come in, that I wanted to hear what he'd been trying to tell me about for the last nine months. Now he could have laughed at me, he could have made fun at me, he could have turned me away, but he didn't. He just smiled and said, sure, come on in. Now I know that James knew of my circumstances because we worked in the same unit, but he never ever judged me. He just opened up his Bible and he told me about a savior a savior whose name was Jesus Christ. He told me Jesus loved me and wanted to be part of my life. He told me Jesus died for my sins. And even though I was in a really difficult situation, it didn't matter, Jesus still loved me. Now I have to tell you, that's the first time in my life I ever heard something like that. I went to church from birth to 21 and I never heard that story. And after a time, he asked me if I wanted to be saved. and if I wanted to give my life to Jesus, and I'll be honest with you, I was looking for a life preserver. I wasn't looking for a savior, but little did I know God had a bigger plan in mind. I started to cry and I said, yes. And this was not just a cry. This was a gut cry, just coming out from every pore of my body, every fabric of my being. After that time of confession and pleading with God for his forgiveness, there was a precious peace that came over me and I stopped crying. Though the consequences of my actions were yet to be determined, I had a peace that I had never known, a peace that somehow it was going to be all right. I did go to trial the next day and faced the court and accounted for my actions, but I felt the Lord's presence. It was just really strange because I'd never experienced that either. I felt the Lord's presence with me throughout the trial. And while I didn't really know him yet, I had peace. Yet there were consequences that came as a result of my actions. But I was allowed to stay in the Air Force and I eventually retired after 20 years of service. And for that, God gets all the glory. But through that journey, I found God to be faithful. And even though I didn't understand, I could see his fingerprints all over my life. 
and I eventually came to see that God was present through the good and the lean times of my faith, and trust in Him still continues today. When we feel like we're at the most difficult points of our lives, that's when God is able to shine His light the brightest. Maybe God has you in the season you're in right now so that He can shape and mold you into the person He wants you to be. This may not feel comfortable. However, the Bible promises we can still have joy in the midst of the suffering. The decision that Jesus Christ made to endure the cross was, in the eyes of the world, foolish. Culturally, this was a death tool that illustrated shame. It was for criminals to be punished. And yet, Jesus was willing to die that way. Why? For the joy set before him. Well, wait, so that means that Jesus was joyful in reconciling sinners like us to God? Yes! And additionally, I wonder if maybe we're called to take a similar posture in our endurance. Does it bring you joy to think about those in your life that don't know Christ coming to faith in him? What if God is trying to use you to plant the gospel seeds? Even through sharing Christ, he will perfect your faith. Keep your eyes fixed on the cross. Endure whatever the race brings. And lastly, remember you're not alone. All throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, he was reminding people that he was not alone. God the Father was directing his steps. Jesus was finding moments, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, to spend one-on-one -on -one time with his Father. He models for us what it means to be fully reliant on God's strength and God's plans. This is where the Holy Spirit comes in. When we realize what it means that we're never alone, we're willing to allow God to lead us through difficult things. 2012 was a really difficult year for my wife and I. Early in the year, there was tension between us and also at my job at the church where I was serving. I chose to share what was happening at home with the elders. They initially shared encouragement with me and made promises of support to me and my family. As the year went on, my personal situation remained unchanged, and that, of course, affected me on the job. But as the year went on, the promises of support and encouragement became non-existent. In fact, I went nearly three months without hearing from any of the elders. In the fall of 2012, things came to a head, and sadly, leadership didn't handle the situation in the best way, and it fractured the church, though I was blamed for that. The bottom line came, and I was given an ultimatum. It was Alexander Graham Bell who said, when one door closes, another opens. And just so you know, this is not the same as what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, when he wrote, God is faithful, he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. We're going to talk about that on another day. But those two things are not the same. So that said, I do believe that God did open a door for us to leave that ministry, and we did. And you know what? That difficult time brought my wife and I together. We began to talk and listen more to each other. We would even take time to pray, which up to that point was pretty much non-existent. We stayed in the Word, and the Lord gave me two men of God, not from the church, who were there with me during that entire time, and I was accountable with them. There were times, many times throughout the year, that I felt that I was alone, but in reality, I wasn't. I came to realize that God had been with me all along. I was a living example of the poem, Footprints, and the footprints in the sand were the Lord's because he was carrying me through it. Beloved, I've witnessed Jesus perfecting and refining my faith. It happens when we're solely reliant on God's ability and willingness to lead us through life. We must learn to trust him, learn to have faith, and learn to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit in us. John 14, 16 says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. Jesus himself says the Holy Spirit will never leave us. He'll be our constant companion to guide, help, and empower us for the tasks at hand. In other words, 
He'll be with us forever. Whether you're enduring a tough season right now or one that's producing a lot of fruit, give glory to God for his faithfulness in never leaving or forsaking us and for giving us the Holy Spirit. We are truly never alone in this journey. Sometimes it's hard to keep our eyes focused on Christ, but we should never grow tired of following Christ because he is the one who perfects our faith. It was this joy that caused him to endure the cross without giving up because he knew his death would give us new life. The perfect love of Christ for his church is an amazing gift and encouragement. I brought this up last week too, but it's worth remembering here in John 15, 9, Jesus reminds us, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. Jesus, the Savior of mankind, is asking you to remain in his perfect love. Don't go looking for it anywhere else. Stay, remain, and learn to abide in the love of Christ. As many of us here know too well, we're not going to find the unconditional, all-powerful love of Christ from some counterfeit God or vocation or hobby or worldly relationship. But if that's you, and you've been looking for a perfect love everywhere else, let me invite you today to find it in the risen Savior. His name is Jesus. Maybe you've never given your life wholly to the ever-capable hands of Christ. Let me invite you today. Receive the perfect love of Jesus. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And he'll remain faithful to you until the very end of time. To him be all honor and glory and majesty. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.